0: chapter 85 of consuelo by george sand this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org cafariello on entering saluted the company very distantly but kissed welhermina's hand tenderly and respectfully after which he accosted his director Olzbauer, with an affable and patronizing air, and shook Porpora's hand with careless familiarity. Porpora, divided between his indignation at his pupil's ingratitude and the necessity of being civil, for if Caffarello asked him to write an opera for the theatre and would take the first part, it would completely re-establish his affairs, began to compliment and question him somewhat maliciously on his recent triumphs in France, but in a tone of irony so guarded that Caffariello was not aware of his drift. "'France,' replied Caffariello, "'do not speak to me of France. "'It is the country of paltry music, paltry musicians, "'paltry amateurs, and a paltry aristocracy. "'Only imagine a scoundrel like Louis the Fifteenth "'after having heard me in half a dozen admirable concerts,' "'sending me by one of his lords, guess what, a miserable snuff-box.' "'But of gold, and ornamented with valuable diamonds, doubtless,' said Porpora, ostentatiously taking out his own box, which was of the commonest description. "'Oh, of course,' replied the soprano, "'but mark the impertinence. "'No portrait, a mere snuff-box, as if I required one to use in that manner. Fie!' what royal vulgarity i was so indignant i hope said Porpora, taking a pinch to refresh his malicious old nose that you gave the little king a lesson faith i did not fail i said to the gentleman who brought it opening a drawer at the same time before his dazzled gaze there are thirty snuff-boxes of which the meanest is thirtyfold more valuable than that which you offer me and you perceive, besides, that other sovereigns have not disdained to honour me with their miniatures. Tell your master that Caffariello is not in want of snuff-boxes. Heaven be praised! "'Berbaco, you must have put the paltry monarch to the blush,' replied Porpora. "'Wait! That is not all.' The gentleman had the insolence to reply that, as regarded foreigners, his majesty gave his portrait only to ambassadors. "'What a clown! And what did you say?' "'Hark ye, sir,' said I. "'Learn that all the ambassadors in the world, put together, would not make one Caffariello.' "'A most excellent reply. Ah, how well I recognised my Caffariello in such an answer! And you would not take the box?' "'No, by Jupiter,' replied Caffariello, drawing from his pocket in an absent manner a snuff-box set with brilliance. "'It was not that one, perchance, was it?' said Porporo with a careless air. "'But tell me, did you see our young Princess of Saxony there, her whom I placed at the harpsichord for the first time, when her mother, the Queen of Poland, honoured me with her patronage? She was an amiable little princess.' Maria Josephine? Yes, the Grand Dauphiness of France. Did I see her? Oh, very frequently. She is an excellent creature, a perfect angel. On my honour, we are the best friends in the world. Stay, she gave me this. And he displayed an enormous diamond ring on his finger. But they say that she laughed immoderately at your reply to the king respecting his present. Undoubtedly. She thought I answered very well, and that the king, her father-in-law, had acted toward me like a pedant. "'She told you so, indeed?' "'She gave me to understand so, and sent me a passport which she had made the king sign with his own hand.'" All who heard this dialogue turned aside to laugh in their sleeve. Bononcini, when speaking of Caffariello's braggadocio doings in France, had related only an hour before that the Dauphinus, on sending him the passport, dignified with the royal signature, had remarked to him that it was available only for ten days, a clear indication that he was to leave the kingdom with the least possible delay. Caffariello, fearing perhaps lest he should be questioned respecting this circumstance, changed the conversation. "'Well, my dear master,' said he to Porpora, "'have you brought out many pupils at Venice in these latter times? Have you produced any who promise well? Do not speak to me of them, replied Porpora, since yourself heaven has been avaricious and my school sterile. Since Porpora made Caffariello, he has crossed his arms and has given himself up to weariness and disgust.' My kind master, returned Caffoiello, charmed by this compliment, which he took entirely in earnest, you are too indulgent to my imperfections, but nevertheless, you had some pupils of promise, when I saw you at the Scuola del Mandicanti, you had already formed there the little Corilla, who was approved of by the public, by my faith, a beautiful creature. A beautiful creature, nothing more. Nothing more, are you serious? asked Herr Holtzbauer, who listened with open ears. Nothing more, I assure you, replied Porpora, authoritatively. I am obliged to you for the hint, said Holtzbauer in his ear. She arrived here yesterday evening, very ill, as I am told, and yet this very morning I received a proposal from her to enter the court theatre. She is not what you want, returned Porpora. "'Your wife sings ten times better than she does,' he had almost said, less badly, but he corrected himself in time. "'Many thanks for your information,' replied the manager. "'What, no other people than the plump Coriglia?' resumed Caffariello. "'Is Venice barren? "'I have a great mind to go there next spring with Madame Tessi. "'Why not?' "'But the Tessi is infatuated with Dresden.' can i not find some kitten to mew at venice i'm not very difficult to please nor is the public when it has a primo uomo of my quality to bear the weight of the whole opera a tolerable voice docile and intelligent would satisfy me for the duets ah by the by master what have you done with a little moorish looking girl i saw with you i have taught many moorish looking girls "'Oh, but this one had a prodigious voice, "'and I remember I said to you when I heard her, "'there is a little fright who will make some noise in the world.' "'I even amused myself by singing something to her. "'Poor child! She shed tears of admiration and delight.' "'Aha!' said Porpora, looking at Consuelo, "'who turned as red as the maestro's rubicund nose. "'What the devil was she called?' resumed Cafraello a strange name. Come, you must recollect her, Maestro, she was ugly as sin. It was I, replied Consuelo, who, overcoming her embarrassment with frankness and cheerfulness, advanced, and saluted Caffariello gaily, but at the same time respectfully. Caffariello was not to be disconcerted by such a trifle. You, said he quickly, taking her hand, you are jesting, for you are a very handsome girl, and she of whom I speak. Oh, it was I indeed, returned Consuelo. Look at me well. You will easily recognize me. It is indeed the same Consuelo. Consuelo! Yes, that was her devil of a name. But I did not recognize you in the least, and I fear much that they have changed you. But, my child, if in acquiring beauty you have lost the voice and talent you gave promise of, you would have done much better to have remained ugly." I want you to hear her, said Porpora, who burned with impatience to display his pupil's talents before Holtzbauer, and he pushed Consuelo to the harpsichord, a little against her will, for it was a long time since she had encountered a learned audience, and she was by no means prepared to sing that evening. You are mystifying me, said Caffarello. This is not the same person whom I saw at Venice. You shall judge, replied Porpora. ''Indeed, my dear master, it is cruel to make me sing when I still have the dust of a long and fatiguing journey in my throat,'' said Consuelo timidly. ''No matter, sing,'' replied the maestro. ''Be not afraid of me, my child,'' said Cafraello. ''I know what indulgence you require, and to encourage you, I will sing along with you, if you wish.'' ''On that condition I consent,'' replied she, and the happiness I shall have in hearing you will prevent my thinking of myself." "'What can we sing together?' asked Caffariello, of Porpora. "'Do you choose a duet?' "'Choose one yourself. There is nothing she cannot sing with you.' "'Well, then, something in your style. I wish to gratify you to-day, my dear Maestro, and besides, I know that the Signora Wilhelmine has all your music here, bound and gilded with Oriental luxury.' Ah, grumbled Porpora between his teeth, my works are more richly clad than I. Caffarello took the books, turned over the leaves, and chose a duet from the Eumene, an opera which the maestro had written at Rome for Farinelli. He sang the first solo with that grandeur, that perfection, that maestria, which made his hearers forget in an instant all his ridiculous vanity and left room in their minds only for admiration and enthusiasm. Consuelo felt herself animated and inspired with all the power of that extraordinary man, and sang in her turn the soprano solo better, perhaps, than she had ever sung before in her life. Caffariello did not wait till she had finished, but interrupted her with rapturous applause. "'Ah, cara!' cried he several times, "'Now I recognize you! It is indeed the wonderful child, I remarked at Venice, but now, figlia mia, you are a prodigy. It is Caffariello who tells it to you. Wilhelmina was somewhat surprised and a little disconcerted to find Consuelo's success even greater than at Venice. In spite of the pleasure she felt at having such a prodigy to produce in her saloons at Vienna, she saw herself, not without some degree of annoyance, silenced and unable, after such a virtuoso, to display her own feebler powers to her guests. She affected great admiration, however. Holzbauer, secretly gratified, but at the same time fearing there would not be money enough in his coffers to requite such abilities, preserved amid his praises a diplomatic reserve. Buononcini declared that Consuelo surpassed even Hassa and Cuzzoni, The ambassador gave way to such transports that Wilhelmina was terrified, especially when she saw him take a large sapphire off his finger and give it to Consuelo, who dared neither accept nor refuse it. The duet was rapturously encored, but at that moment the door opened and a lackey announced with respectful solemnity, The Count Hoditz! Everyone one rose with the instinctive deference which the world ever displays not for the worthiest, not for the most illustrious, but for the richest. It is very unfortunate, thought Consuelo, that I should meet here together, without any preparation, two persons who have seen me on the road with Joseph, and who doubtless have formed a false idea of my morals and conduct. No matter, I shall never deny in heart or word, whatever it may cost me, the friendship I feel for the excellent Joseph." Count Hoditz, glittering with gold and embroidery, advanced toward Wilhelmina and kissed her hand. Consuelo saw at a glance from his manner toward her the difference between a lady of her description and the proud patrician dams of Venice. There was more gallantry and gaiety with Wilhelmina. But the conversation was louder, the company more noisy, nor did the guests refrain from crossing their legs and standing with their backs to the fire. The company seemed to enjoy themselves the more from this want of formality, but there was something insulting in it, which Consuelo instantly felt and appreciated, although this something, concealed as it was by the habits of high life and the respect due to the ambassador, was almost imperceptible. Count Hoditz was remarkable, for this delicate shade of manner which, far from offending Wilhelmina, seemed to please her. Consuelo felt for this poor woman, whose gratified vanity only made her seem more an object of pity. As to herself, she was in no wise annoyed. A Zingarella she laid claim to no distinction, and it was of small importance to her whether a bow were deep or otherwise. I came here, thought she, in my professional capacity, and so that I give my employers satisfaction. I am content to sit quiet in my corner. But this woman, who mingles love, if indeed there be love in the matter, with vanity, how she would blush could she witness the secret disdain and irony concealed under the ostentatious politeness and gallantry! Again she sang, and was applauded to the skies, literally sharing with Caffariello the honours of the evening. Every instant she expected to be saluted by Count Hoditz, and to be made the butt of some malicious pleasantry. But strange to say, Count Hoditz never approached the instrument, toward which she had kept her face turned so that he could not see her features, and when he inquired her name and age, he seemed as if he had never heard of her before. The fact was. He had never received the imprudent note which Consuelo had so boldly addressed to him by the deserter's wife. He was, moreover, short-sighted, and as it was not then usual to employ eyeglasses in private company, he discerned very imperfectly the pale features of the cantatrice. It may appear strange that, lover of the drama as he was, he had no curiosity to see more closely so remarkable a performer. But the reader must bear in mind that he loved only his own music, his own method, and his own singers. Great talents inspired him with no interest and no sympathy, and he rather loved to humble them in their pretensions. When he was told that Faustina Bordoni had made two thousand guineas a year in London and Farinelli six thousand, he merely shrugged his shoulders and said, That for some twenty pounds a year he had singers in his theatre at Volswald in Moravia that were worth Farinelli, Caffaiello, and Faustina put together. Caffaiello's pretensions and airs were particularly revolting and disagreeable to him just because, in his own sphere, Count Hoditz had precisely the same defects. If boasters displease modest and retiring persons, they inspire other boasters with still more aversion and disgust. The vain detest the vain. While listening to Caffariello's singing, no person thought of Count Hoditz and his pretensions, and while Caffariello retailed his gossip, Count Hoditz had unhappily no scope for his. No saloon was sufficiently vast, no audience sufficiently attentive. To satisfy two men so devoured, to use the phrenological term of the day, with such a love of approbation. A third reason prevented the Count Hoditz from recognizing the Bertoni of Passau, and that was that he had hardly looked at her at Passau, and even if he had, he would have had some difficulty in remembering her in her present change of costume. He had seen a tolerably handsome little girl, He had heard an agreeable and flexible voice, he had surmised an understanding susceptible of cultivation, but he felt nothing more, and he required nothing more for his theatre at Roswald. Extravagantly rich, he was accustomed to buy, without much examination, everything he took a fancy for. He had wished to purchase Consuelo's services, as we have seen, just as one would buy knives at Chetellero or glassware at Venice. The bargain had not succeeded, and he thought nothing more of the matter, and experienced no regret. His serenity, indeed, had been a little ruffled on awaking at Passau and finding his pupils gone. But people who have so very high an opinion of themselves are not long dejected. They forget quickly, for is not the world their own, especially when they are rich? One chance is lost, thought he, but a hundred others remain. He whispered with Wilhelmina during the last piece which Consuelo sang, and seeing that Porporo darted looks of fiery indignation at him, he soon took his leave, having found little pleasure among these pedantic and ill-instructed musicians. End of chapter 85